right, so we are here today with Rebecca Anongchong, who I've been a super huge fan on Twitter here. Um, certainly famous in on Africa Twitter. Um, I wish I could speak French so that I can follow you know what's going on in, in Cameroon Twitter a little bit better. Um, but it's you know Swahili for me is first on the chopping block to learn. So uh, French, I guess, will come second from that. But thank you so yeah, much for joining. You, you could always use the translate button. Well, that's true, but on the tweet. it's not that great. Um, it's, it's certainly gotten better since I think Microsoft uh, is doing something with Twitter on that, but yeah. it's, still, it's still kind of fuzzy for me to, to try to understand. Yeah, and I usually tweet in French for things that are more very cam- for Cameroonian okay. versus well, exactly. for so like, a global audience. In order to be an insider, I have to speak French. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, I'm just getting... <laughs> understand the high level anglophone english stuff it's yeah. you know, not as great but um yeah I'm, I'm i'm very grateful that that you took the time to stop by no i'm happy to be here very yeah. honored and i i well so i had no idea that you were good friends with um you know my partner and masuku so oh, absolutely yeah i well it was a picture from Af- afrobytes yes. actually Who i cares? saw you guys were on the same panel and just like the body language i could tell like okay i think they're friends i think they're have a good relationship <laughs> yeah um, we go way back yeah 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 awesome well, I guess, when did you guys first connect? Um, on Twitter. On Twitter. Oh, well, well, there you go. There you go. But then I think it's been um, about four or four or five years ago, I was on his podcast. Yes. In South Africa. I was in Cape Town for something. And um, they came to my hotel and interviewed me. And, Amazing. And yeah, was that really was fun. African Tech Conversations? Yes. It was the first one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. No, it was, it was, a, it was a great episode. Um, definitely dove into... A lot of the more personal stuff because I mean, yeah, I actually did two come to think of it because they came. I did one that was in South Africa and I did one in another country that we were both in at the same time. Mm. Don't ask me which one, I can't remember. Okay, but yeah, um, yeah, okay. So, so, so when you're at, when you're actually on the continent, you know, I know you're kind of back and forth between Cameroon and DC, but mm-hmm. outside of Cameroon, where, where do you find yourself spending the most time on the continent? Oh my goodness, everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm really like, I, this year I've been to Senegal, I've been to Mali, um, I've been to Nairobi, I've been to South Africa, I've been to, I mean, I've, yeah, a lot of places. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you find yourself, because I mean, do you find yourself spending more time in, in Francophone Africa than, than you do in Anglophone? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, no, not okay. really. Because I, I know, I, I did see you put out an article, I believe it was a couple of years ago now, I guess talking about the, the differences in doing business, right? In, oh, yeah. in Francophone oh, Africa yeah. versus Anglophone. Oh, it yeah. seems like you're very passionate about that. Yeah, well, see, because I come from a country that's bilingual. Yes. And so I see this um, difference in business culture. Mm in the same in within the same country right um within the like with the entrepreneurs like the entrepreneurs from the english speaking side and the english entrepreneurs from the french speaking side are are different um even it's even in this very same country right and mm. um so i i've done some sessions for instance in Cote d'Ivoire for more francophone um startups um where there was the mentorship and, and and things like that where i really saw so different like very francophones tend to be very structured mm-hmm. right very i've got all my everything is in order right like back office is set but they don't have a product Right. Whereas the mm. Anglophones are like, 
they'll get the product and then try to start selling it. And then, oh my goodness, they're asking me for such and such a document for my company. I need to register it, you know? So it's a very different approach. And, um, you know, I, th I think that we're more accustomed to the um, Anglophone yeah. way of doing it, but it doesn't mean that the Francophone is all bad. It's just slower, I think, to get started. But then because you have your back office in order, um, when you launch your company and you actually do launch your product, you may last longer. It's just that you may never start get your product out. Right. Um, so it's and, just a different approach. Well, I mean, do you find that it's, it's pretty binary in terms of like, like teams are either like completely Anglo Anglophone culture or completely English speaking teams and, and vice versa with the French or do you, do you find that, um, there's typically like a mix or sometimes a mix. Um, between the two. I think in Cameroon, we're seeing more and more of the mixes right. because I mean, we are hoping, I mean, this is one ecosystem that we're talking about. Um, even though we talked about, about the Silicon Mountain community, Silicon Mountain, which is on the English speaking side, which started on the English speaking side, has really grown into an ecosystem that that's, goes beyond the borders of the English-speaking side. Um, and so, so I think in Cameroon, we, we have, we're, it's very unique in that it's, it's one community, mm -hmm. right? I would say all the way from like the English-speaking side all the way to Douala is one community. And then maybe you have the Yaoundé startups that are more, more Francophone. Interesting. Well, so what, can you kind of break, so I, and that was the first time I've heard Silicon Mountains, by the way, I've never oh, heard really? that. Did, did you oh, coin that? I did. Yes. Well, I think I used it. I think maybe other people might've used it, but I, I mm. think I first, I was the first official person to use it okay. in a speech. And, yes. and so, um, yeah, it's, it's really a community, you know, the epicenter of the tech ecosystem in Cameroon has always been in Boya on the English speaking okay. side. Um, and, um, so it was just a way to give a name to that movement that developed, that was a grassroots movement and a community, a real sense of community of doing things and collaborating and building, um, together. Um, and I think that, you know, those of us that live in Douala are, are very happy to have been adopted into that community and that community to have extended its reach um, beyond the mountain of Boya. And is there, is there a particular reason that that has become kind of the central point? Like, is there a, uh, like a success story or like one kind of exit that happened there? I think it's just that they, they came together earlier than anybody. You mm -hmm. know, they started having meetups and they, they got together um, as a community. Um, and I think that that's what makes it so unique, right? And so you have a number of startups um, that started there. You know, Active Spaces, which is yes. the main tech hub, started in Boya. Oh, really? Um, before, I didn't know that. Yeah, before Douala, way before, way before. Yeah. Yeah, years I, before. I, I first heard about them, so I'm good friends with Verlo Llewellyn. Yes. Who I, I'm sure you guys are our best buds as yes. well. Um, and she, she was the one that kind of told me about Active Spaces and uh, I think I did a podcast episode with them way back in the early days of this, uh, before before we had this beautiful new oh, studio. Yeah, um, yeah. So Active Spaces started in Boya. Okay. So the African Center for Technology, Innovation, and Adventures. Oh, so I don't yeah. know if you knew. I did not know that. Something. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, and then Spaces. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, because of the political situation yes. um, and um, 
the obviously it started with the internet um, issue um, and where the internet was cut off, completely cut off, not just social media for 93 days um, in 2017. So that completely, I mean, that really hurt that community a lot um, because they couldn't communicate with anybody. They couldn't carry out their businesses. They couldn't. Um, and so it really, really was, was a very painful experience. And we started seeing changes in the community and, and, and um, Silicon Mountain not being as strong and powerful as, it, it, as it, it, it once was. And then now, because of the violence and, you know, the insecurity in the area, it becomes, it's, it's you know, so a lot of people are, are, have taken refuge on either on the French-speaking side or in Nigeria. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the, the ability for a government to shut off the internet is certainly a big concern in Africa. I know it happened in Ethiopia, I believe, as well. But they, oh, were, yeah. they were just doing it for, like, exam cheating? Or? Well, that's what they said. Okay, um, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what they said, yeah. Yeah, but I think it's Cameron isn't the only one to have cut off. I think Cameron is exceptional in that it was a full shut down right right they didn't just shut down social media they didn't just sh shut down mobile internet they shut down the entire internet for um millions and millions of people and mm -hmm. you know you couldn't do banking you couldn't do you couldn't do anything um and so it was unique in its um severity and its breadth right um and the length of time because 93 days that's over three months yeah, that's, a very um, that's a really really long time and enough time to have very long-term consequences not just for the english-speaking side but for the entire um the, the entire country right but it's not alone i mean we see it every time there's an election or something political happening in an african country they'll shut down the internet we've seen it in benin we've did it we saw it in togo we saw it you know it, as you said in ethiopia in zimbabwe um it just seems like it, it's a tool it's in the toolkit of dictatorships right um as one means of you know uh, of 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 fighting dissent um, and, you know, Sudan, of course. Um, so, so, and it doesn't work, right? Like we, it's been proven over and over and over again that, that internet shutdowns do not create any peace Absolutely. at all. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, in Cameroon, if we think about it, like in 2016, when the um, demonstration started and the civil disobedience started, there was no violence, right? And they shut down the internet to say that they wanted to prevent violence, hmm. but it created the opposite effect. We've had thousands of people um, die after the internet was, was shut down because it really created um, a sense of, I mean, like it, it's, it solidified um, those who were, who were thinking that they were ostracized by the Cameron government, that, you know, they didn't matter to the Cameron government and, um, the extremist voices started to, to take over and violence ensued. Yeah. Um, so, well, uh, yeah, I mean, again, like the intention is irrelevant. It's more important that the precedent that it sends is much more, you know, it's, uh, you know, the whole point of the show that we're doing is to kind of paint Africa in, in the 
in, in a positive light because here in the West, we have this, this one-sided narrative of war, poverty, and disease. And it's yeah. just, it's not the whole story. Oh, yeah. And I, I think it, but it shows also the resilience of yes. Africans that are still able to innovate and are still able to, you know, create viable businesses and technologies in such a difficult environment. And we saw one of the winners of the Google, the Google code company, um, um, competition. It's a worldwide coding competition. And the winner of that competition, the first time there was an African winner was during our internet shutdown in Cameroon. Really? And he was from the English speaking side. So he had to like travel to the French speaking side to finish because he'd started when before they shut down. And then it's, it takes it's a, it, it takes several weeks of um, the competition does and then finished it while he was on the French speaking side. And and he still managed to win. Yeah. You know, um, there's and there's so many examples of 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 how resilient um, our people are and how and how despite all the adversity. Um, there's always the ability to um, come up with something amazing. Yeah, I always tell people the entrepreneurs that are operating in Africa. I mean, they're by far the toughest in the world. Oh like, yeah, there's no, there's no question. There's no comparison in oh, the U.S. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, take you know, them to Silicon Valley and they will make a killing. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's it, you know, it, it makes me sad to see these. Uh, maybe that's not the right word. Just to see like Bird and Lime and like a company that's able to raise. I think they went from nothing to a billion dollar valuation in like six months. Like unbelievable, unbelievable. And if just a little bit more of that capital was able to flow to emerging and frontier markets, I mean, it could have such a big impact in the world. Granted, I, I absolutely love these scooters. They, they've changed my life in DC. <laughs> absolutely changed my life. Cause I can just leave my car in a parking mm-hmm. garage for mm-hmm. you know $15 for the day and take a scooter anywhere in DC. And yeah. it's amazing. Um. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that you know because we're, we've been talking about that because there was the report of the um, there are forty seven um, startups in Africa that have raised over a million dollars so far in two thousand nineteen. It was put out by um, GSMA, mm. um, and um, so I mean it was just a, they were just published this week or something and. And so it's very interesting to see where those startups are and who the the founders are. Right. Right. So in you know we're of course there are very few women that are that were co-founders of any of the startups that raise money. But even so, most of the startups, the the most of the money that's been raised has been raised by foreign founders. Um, and I think that there's this. Um, there's this difficulty we have, I think, this, the pattern recognition issue, um, that, that even Blacks in Silicon Valley and, um, are, are having difficulties with, is that we, you know, we don't look like what a successful entrepreneur looks like. You know, even though Elon, Elon Musk is an African guy, you know, he's a <laughs> yes, South African guy, true. he doesn't look like an African guy, right? So he can pass for what success looks like, right. you know, so he doesn't have to prove it over and over and over again. And I think that, you know, we need more, um, we need more examples of, um, of success that doesn't look like typical Silicon Valley. Right. Um, and we need to promote those images so that not just venture capitalists and investors see that there are other successful models, but 
also entrepreneurs can see that, hey, you know, she was able to raise, right. you know, a billion dollars. I can't be, you know, I can do it too. Right. right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think expats coming in and raising capital isn't necessarily a bad thing unless there's a shift towards more of that capital going to local founders. So like in Brazil, back in 2008, when Brazil was kind of like the hot market, a lot of uh, MBAs from the US would travel there and raise venture capital to start a company and they would hire a lot of local Brazilians. And after the kind of Brazil bubble burst, a lot of those MBAs left and then the local founders had a couple years of experience in, in the industry to, uh, under the belt to actually, you know, uh, step in and a lot more capital started flooding into the local Brazilian entrepreneurs. But I don't think that's happening right now in Africa to the to anywhere close to the extent that it happened in Brazil. Yeah, we're not seeing it yet. Um, we're not seeing it yet. And I think maybe also because the the um, there are very few companies that are raising su- substantial amounts of money, right? right? There, are, I mean, you can count them on one hand, right? So even if you've worked for one of those companies, it doesn't give us enough in, in terms of numbers, right? Right. We would need thousands and thousands of executives working, you know, that come out of these companies so that we can have enough critical mass, right. To make that a viable model. But right. what frustrates me a lot is that we have some startups that are founded locally founded um, by founders that may have even studied overseas or, you know, their business model is identical. They go to the same venture capitalist investors to raise money. They're not able to raise money. And then a foreign founder will come, doesn't know the market nearly well enough as well, and will be able to raise the money. Right. Um, and, and then use that money to basically destroy the competition, which is the local entrepreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. So that's frustrating. And that's something that we need to identify A, as a problem and, and come together, you know, to find solutions yeah. to that. Well, I guess my, my question to you, I know you, I mean, you're a huge advocate for the ecosystem. You started uh, African Business Angel Network and Cameroon Angel Network and um, active spaces. I like, you know, the list goes on and on of, of the kind of uh, ecosystem evangelizing that you've done. So I guess my question to you is, I think, I think there's two pieces to it. I think the first piece is how can we activate more corporate venture capital and how can we activate more diaspora angel investors? And I, and I think if we can do that, I think that certainly, um, is a start, right? Yeah, it, absolutely. To build momentum. Absolutely. Like for Cameron Angels Network, and what we've done is that we have connected with our diaspora, right? So we, we have some diaspora, members of the Cameron diaspora that are in Silicon Valley and that want to invest, but they just don't know who to invest in. They don't have the time to like, hmm. like it back and forth and look at the opportunities. And so, you know, we, we kind of created that bridge to allow them to invest uh, locally. Um, and we're seeing more and more of that. And we're seeing more and more angel networks, right? The more we structure our um, ecosystem, the better off we'll be, right? So the more angel networks we have versus just having individual angel investors, some of whom don't even know they're angel investors, right? Because it's like, somebody's like, I have a little money. I'm going to put money in this startup. 
you know, or in this company, this young guy came and he has this like really interesting project. Um, and so if, if we're able to structure um, our ecosystem better, we will make it stronger. Yes, I agree. I mean, I, I have the, I have this thesis that the African countries that will have some of the most resilient startup ecosystems over the next, we'll say five years, are going to be the ones with a stronger sense of nationalism, where the, some of the high net worth individuals locally and in that diaspora are willing to kind of um, place these bets, you know, super high risk versus just, high risk. just getting the, the 3x on a shipping container, right? Which yeah. is, you know, much, uh, much more reliable. You know, yeah, and I think also we need to, you know, we we but we need both, right? We need um, the high net worth in, individuals to um, to want to do more than charity, because what we, we're seeing a lot of foundations, you know, like entrepreneurship programs, but they're all charitable based, and they're not venture based, which to me is an That's indication that they don't believe in the entrepreneurs yet. Hmm. Right. That's because, a very cool point. Even uh, Zuckerberg's investment in Della yeah, is, was is white through founded. his foundation. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Yeah, it's through the the initiative, which is a nonprofit. Right. So you know, the more we see real venture capital and real investors that are looking for a return on their investment, even though they may be very very patient. Um, and more so than if they would were in Silicon Valley, it's still really important to look at uh, these businesses as businesses. Right. Um, and the entrepreneurs need to look at that as well. I mean, we get a lot, I think there's still a lot of a misunderstanding on the investment um, and why would I invest? I mean, come on, you know, I talk, I, I tell these entrepreneurs that this is money that, we earn through like blood, sweat, and tears, right? And you're just asking me, you have an idea and you just want me to come give you, you know, $50,000 to support this idea. Right. And I'm like, there's no way. Um, <laughs> there's just no way. Yeah. Um, a, I want to see your blood, sweat, and tears. Right. Um, before I'll give you anything. Um, and, you know, there's, we've had this debate, we've been having this debate on Twitter for the last two days on, you know, well, why aren't francophones on that list, on that DSMA list of, uh, of, um, of the 47 startups that raised over a million dollars this year? There are no francophone, um, sub-Saharan Africa franc francophone, right? There's like Tunisia. Yeah. Um, but, but they're, they're, so why? And, you know, everybody's like, so why is it different? And, you know, and it's like, yeah, but we can't raise money. And like, you know, I, I need the investors to buy into my vision. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you know, the yeah. vision thing. Everybody has a great vision. We don't invest in vision. Right. You know, we don't invest in ideas. You know, at least show that you're able to build a product and build a prototype. We're not asking you to have built out a whole company. Right. You don't have to have like an HR department and, you know, um, and, you know, your finance department and your, you know, customer service department. You don't have to have all that built out. We're not right. asking for that, but have the product, at least a prototype ready that you can tell us that you've had tested here and there that works. Right. It may not work super well, but please don't come to us with an idea um, because we, we can't help you. 
Yeah. You know, because, and I, I think that everybody thinks that they're on the next great thing. Right. But just so you know, like a, I get, I don't know. I, I probably get 20 requests a day. Right. What, your, your I Twitter, closed, in your Twitter DMs. I, I closed my DMs. Oh yeah. Last week. I, okay. I couldn't take it anymore, <laughs> but I still get them in open. Um, right, and right. I get them on Instagram and I get mm. them by email and I get them by, so imagine put yourself in my shoes. Right. And I'm not a big investor. Right. I can just, I can just imagine somebody that is a big investor, how many requests they get every single day right. that they have to sift through. And then you're there and you have an idea. And then in the emails that come through, you have people that are looking for money that have traction. They have customers. Um, they have revenue. They have, and they, they put a short, like the email is like really short and concise and has their, you know, their numbers in it. And I'm like, this is fantastic. And then you are sending me a Twitter DM. I got one today earlier, just like a, few, a little bit ago saying, I need help. Can you help invest in me, in me, in my project? Yeah. Right. Come on guys. You know? So, right. so I, I think that it, the, the investors need to trust African investors, particularly need to trust the entrepreneurs more and the entrepreneurs need to get further along before they start looking for outside investment. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think another problem, especially uh, another problem with Francophone is that there aren't as many French speaking venture capital funds as there are, you know, English speaking from London and uh, the US. And so I think that you know, ra raising capital when you speak only French, I mean, certainly an uphill batter, battle if you're sitting in Francophone Africa. Yeah, I was involved in the Africa Excel program. So the World Bank had um, put together a program to support um, scale ups, what, what mm -hmm. they had identified as scale ups as um, companies that had already raised a little bit of capital and um, were looking for additional capital. And so they put together this acceleration program called Is that what Excel Africa. Tony, Tony Elias was running? Um, no. No. Okay. Never mind. I don't think so. Um, so um, it's it's it was so it was run last year. It was like they 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 outsourced it. Okay. Uh, the running of it. Got it. Um, so last year it was Excel Africa and it was Pan African, and then this year they made one that was specific to Francophone Africa called Afrique Excel. Okay. Right, and I think it's so that. To, to kind of break that bridge, right? Like to make um, a Francophone African startups more visible to an international community of investors. But those entrepreneurs still had to pitch in English, mm. right? Because um, they had to learn to pitch in English. So the initial discussions and the initial interviews, they could do in French or English, whatever they felt more comfortable with. But in the end, only because we know that to put these startups in front of the most investors possible, right. um, you, they really do, English is key. Yes, I agree. Um, but uh, let's, let's talk about you, let's talk about AppStack. So, <laughs> I mean, AppStack is it's, uh, amazing business, especially considering the fact that I don't believe you raised capital for it. No, um, I couldn't. Yeah. This is 20 years ago, so okay. we're celebrating our 20th year. Congratulations. Um, thank you very much. 
Um, started in 1999 in Bethesda, Maryland, so not far from here. Yes. And um, yeah, so so yes, started out great American dream story and. And I, you know, I, I, I keep saying that, like, when I started my company, I didn't really realize that the whole minority black woman, African thing was a thing, right? I always thought and I always said, and I still say that technology is a great equalizer, right? When you download an app from your phone, you don't check to see if it's built by a man or a woman, or if it's built by an African or an American, you just want to know that it works. Right. 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 And so that was the, my thing is like, I, so I was able to hide behind this corporate um, brand that I built, um, you know, with websites and, you know, fancy websites and fancy cards. And, um, but I, I, it was just me. Right. Um, and I was able to sell, so I didn't have any, I didn't have, um, my name on the business card. I mean, I had my name. I didn't have my title okay. on the business card right? so that I could walk in and be a salesperson or I could be an engineer. I see. I could be whatever. I don't think you do that anymore. Cause they would just look you up on LinkedIn they would Google. or like, you know. yeah, right? <laughs> but, um, but it allowed me to carry many, many hats and be able to hide behind this company. Yeah. Right. And so I just worked there and I got a lot done and I was able to sign multi-million dollar contracts because I just worked there. Right. right? And then hire lots of people really fast. And yeah. And then, so I, yeah. And then hire people and then, um, get offices. So, cause they needed to be somewhere. Um, but really just started with the branding and the selling and getting customers. And, um, but then, when you go to raise capital, all of a sudden they want to know who owns the company. Right. Right. They're like, who is the founder? And you can't say we, right. You can't hide behind the corporate shield. And that's where the difficulty comes in. Right. Cause I couldn't, nobody, like they would look next to me. They would look for the real person. Um, and I just, I, I just give up. Mm. I just, I just really gave up. And, and, we had really great traction, really great numbers. I mean, we were growing, you know, by $10 million every year. Um, wow. And, you know, we, we were profitable. We, I mean, we had an innovative business model. Um, we, did, we started doing mobile applications before smartphones. So we so had... Well- Yes. What what were they built for? So they would be like you would get you would get the so those the HTML. So right. you could still you could you would get an email and you would click on the link and it would take you to an application, for instance, to approve a, a purchase order. Okay. Right? Or approve an expense report. Right. Um we had also created an application that would call you and read your email to you. Right. So if you mm-hmm. tagged your email as like urgent or something, it would call you and then say you have received an urgent email and right. tell and read the email. And this you. was like early two thousands. Yeah, this, so this was, was two thousand cutting edge. Two thousand one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. So we actually we had started that. Um, we actually won a prize in um, in um, 
uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, and part of that was um, being able to get into an incubator. Um, Were they and, calling them incubators back then? Yeah, it was called an incubator. Okay. Yeah, they called it an incubator. It was a, it was a government thing. It was really? a state of Pennsylvania huh. thing. It was in Philadelphia. It was a really weird space. Okay. Um, and they gave us $20,000, which was a lot back then um as a prize and to get started and um the the eventually we a lot of the big guys like oracle and started building the tools into their development pro products right to build mobile apps okay. which so it, it kind of made so we weren't selling the apps we we're selling the platform I to see. be able to develop these applications and we developed a few applications just to show what the development was and so perhaps we should have approached it differently but when we call because we're apps tech people yeah. always think that we do apps like right. mobile apps but no we do but that's not how we started right well i guess it's different context i mean that's exactly what i thought when i first saw you know yeah. apps tech yeah. but um you know i mean that's it's a very cool story and so, but the mobile devices back then, they were just kind of dumb Nokia. phones, like 2G, yeah. Nokia, yeah, like yeah, bricks. Nokia, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And then, and then you took your business over to Africa, yes. right? Yeah. And, that, and that's when your, um, um, your battle testing phase. <laughs> yeah. So it was really interesting because they actually, I had some um, students from Columbia University. MBA students that mm -hmm. followed my journey into opening my Cameroon subsidiary. Okay. And they followed me for several months. So they here in the US and followed me to Cameroon. They oh, traveled wow. to Cameroon and and they did their their thesis on this, right? So it's still available online. You can download it. It's okay. uh, it's there. Yeah. Um and, and it's so funny because I when I read it. I sound like, oh my God, I sound so intelligent. And I'm like, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. And, you know, but I had no clue. Mm. Right. I, I literally had no idea. Um, I think it's an environment that we, because I'm from the diaspora, I had, and because I traveled to Cameroon very frequently. My family was there. I really thought I understood the country. But it's really when you move back um, that you really start to understand. And like you spend time on the continent, in country, uh, on the ground for more than a short period. Right. Because I would go for six weeks, right? And so yeah. I, I spent a lot of time on the ground. But I, I, had, I was clueless. But you, you grew up in Cameroon, right? You, you I grew came up over in, in high school? Or? Yeah, I finished okay. high school in the U.S. Got it. And then I went to college. But I grew up in Cameroon. And I, I, went, I went home. Home at the time. So it wasn't as if I, I didn't. I didn't study the area. And also, because Upstack had had we'd opened multiple subsidiaries. So we had our Bethesda, we had an office in, in Philadelphia, um, in the US, we had one in Miami, we had one in Canada, we'd opened subsidiaries in, Paris, in France, in the UK. Um, so we knew what we needed to prepare for. 
And we did the same thing for Cameroon. We did a market study. We did, we, we, you know, we had a plan. It wasn't like, oh, it's just my heart. Right. Um, so let me just go, you know, even though um, some of the, exec- the members of the executive, of my executive team here in the U.S., mostly Africans, by the way, had one of them specifically was so against it. Just, just expanding to Africa? To expanding to Cameroon. Okay. Right. And um, yeah, he was like, it does not. He's like, yeah, I see how you've twisted the numbers <laughs> to make it look right, like it's a good, yes. but he did not see it. Mm. He just didn't see it. And I, I, re- I wish I'd trusted his instincts. Um, but, but I'm, I, at the same time, I don't regret it. I mean, it was, I almost lost the company as a result because um, we really underestimated how different business culture was mm-hmm. right yeah. yeah um and you know you, you, yeah you, i don't know how you prepare for that right well right? i mean I, I read the story of kind of your running with mtn and um that's one thing i it's actually a common thing i hear i was in lagos nigeria in november i've heard the story then i heard the story from a company in nairobi if the big players in Africa would just pay their bills on time to the startups, I think that we'd see a lot more uh, successful startups. Yeah, I, I agree. Like there, there's two things that happen. One is that they either won't pay you or they'll steal your, your tech. Um, and I've seen them do both. And it's, it's MTN is known for this, but, but there are others um, that, that do the same thing. It's like, they'll do this competition and then they'll pick out the great ideas out of the competition and then they'll run with the, you know, and so it really yeah. creates this, there's a sense of distress. And I, I, I realized this very, very late, like I'm, I got, I went back to Cameroon. I went to Cameroon for two weeks in 2004 to kind of like, because we had that dispute with MTN and I was like, you know, I'll just go, go go see the CEO and we'll sit down and we'll work, we'll work it out because right. that's how business is done. You you work it out. Maybe, maybe there are disagreements. It's like, yeah. Well, cause you had a contract with them. Right? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Great yeah. contract that had been <laughs> negotiated over yes. seven months. Right. And so, and, and you can still make concessions. It wasn't like yeah. I was going and saying, this is the contract. You've yes. breached every single article in the contract. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> Except for the, where there's the name, right? It right, says right. the name and address. Yes. That was so, cool. But, but everything else, they like, they respected nothing. And so it wasn't like I was, I was just saying, Hey, you know, if there's a bill, just yes. pay the bill. You know, we'll forget the rest of it. Really, we'll just let go of the rest of it. Just pay the bill. And um, so I went there and I planned on staying two weeks. I stayed two years. Mm. And wow. And I, I it, 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 and I still didn't get the the country. Like I still didn't understand. It took me until I met with a very high level government official once um, a, a few years ago, but way after this happened. And, um, you know, I was talking about the difficulties in the country and, you know, talking about that particular case and, you know, other situations where, you know, people just don't pay their bills. He's like, why are you so naive? And I was like, what do you mean naive? I mean, I had a contract 
black and white. I always do contracts beforehand. I, and the basic assumption was, you, why are you expecting people to respect their contract? Nobody respects their contract, mm. right? And I was like, it's so different from what I'd experienced here in the U.S. Right. Where when you enter into a business relationship, it's win-win. Yes. Right. And what I realized and looking back, it was, it happened over and over and over again. I just hadn't seen it. Is that the business relationships um, in Africa, in, you know, many cases, there are exceptions, right? But it's one of us is going to get screwed and it's not going to be me. Mm. And so they will anticipate being screwed. And so you, you put all of these barriers, excuse my language, no, no. you put all these barriers to the relationship to avoid getting screwed, hmm. right? Yeah. And including like making them pay 100%. If you look at all the business models that are functioning well in Africa right now, look at telco, prepaid, everything is prepaid because they don't expect you to, to pay a bill when you receive a bill. Even rent, you have to pay Every, what, a year, a year, a year two ahead. years yeah. in advance. Yeah. Everything is prepaid because there's no trust. Right, right. There, you know, and so I think that, that some of those, and it took me so long to figure out that, that fundamental difference in you go into a business arrangement assuming that the other person won't, won't respect it. And it's very different from what I think has really helped the U.S. be successful, which is I expect you, I know that you're going to respect. You're honest until you prove me that you're not. Right. Um, which is a very different approach. So everything is done in, structured for honest people. Right. But that, that also highlights the importance of having a, like if you're in the U.S. or in the U.K. and you want to do business, you want to invest in Africa, it's so important to have that, that local partner that yeah. is on the ground that you can trust, that can interface with people, that can have caught, you know, um, otherwise. And also understand, tough. like, I still don't understand, like, political talk. Like, if I go to Yaoundé, which is our capital, even though Douala is the bigger city, when I go to Yaoundé and I meet with, like, officials and everything, you always have great meetings, mm. right? But I, 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 I and then when I leave, nothing happens. And they're like, well, what did they say? You know, and I'm like, I need an interpreter <laughs> because in the room with me that understands their speak. Right. Because they could be very diplomatic, very polite, very, you know, but they've told you, they've sent you a message and you're just like, didn't understand at all what they were trying to say. Yeah. So I think that even though I've been there and I understand that I don't understand, I don't understand. Like, at least I know that that I don't get it, right? right. And yes. I, it may be beyond me, yeah. like beyond. Um, but yeah, it's important to go in with a trusted local partner. Um, I think it makes a difference. I, I think you also have to be really careful um, because for whatever reason, I think people believe that are on the continent many times that when you're in the diaspora, that money grows on trees. Right. And so we had one experience um, in Ghana where we opened an office where, you know, we were paying for everything. 
right? Like, you know, we hired staff and we paid for everything. We paid the rent and, um, the entrepreneur, I mean, the entrepreneur, the, the country manager had been hired from the UK and had wanted to go back to Africa, was not from Ghana, but knew the country well enough that mm -hmm. we thought it was a good idea. And then we had all these expenses and expenses and expenses and expenses and no revenue. And then about a year later, I went to a conference somewhere and I met somebody, a Ghanaian. He's like, oh my God, AppSec, your AppSec systems in Ghana, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh my God, you guys, great. You've done such a great job. And I was like, Ugh. here we go. Yeah. So yeah, so we were getting revenue, but it wasn't going into our bank account. Mm. So, um, but I have so many examples like that. Right. And, but also have a lot of positive examples, you know, yeah. of, 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 you know, some of the team that started with me 20 years ago is still here. Yes. Right. It, and I'm talking about in Cameroon, you know, so some people that started one guy who started as my driver is now the office manager. Hmm. Um, he'd never touched the computer before. Right. But now he like does his accounting. He does, you know, he, I like, he scans stuff and sends and does everything electronically. Um, and so it's just, you know, and he's been there 20 years, you yeah. know, I've, you know, one young woman who is amazing, who started as like office helper, you know, um, she'd go get coffee and, you know, and now she's the, um, we run a Pearson view testing center and she's the administrator. She's certified. Um, she has several Oracle certifications. She taught herself everything. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I mean, those stories are why I personally, love Africa because there are so many people that they, they, they just need an opportunity. They just need one at bat and they just need someone to give them that shot and they're going to absolutely crush it. And they're going to, you know, grow in consciousness over time. And I, I personally feel like there are more people like that on the continent than the. Uh, yeah. And I think they're not the most visible ones. Correct. Right. So it's really important to go in and, and get to know people, especially if you're from that country um, your relatives aren't the first obvious choice. Right. Cause right. You, we, we think as yeah, our cousin, it's a, well, you know, like in any country you have to be, you know, careful of, of who you go into business with. Yes. Well, Rebecca, this has been amazing. Before mm -hmm. we sign off, okay. uh, let's talk about IO spaces. Oh, yes. 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 want to make sure we get that in there. It's a beautiful new space in Silver Spring. Yes. Uh, I met, where did I meet Leslie? Um, I think I met him just at an event in DC and he, he mentioned, you know, come check out the space. And so there was another event at IO spaces. So I got the chance to get out there and it's amazing, amazing space with an amazing roof with this cool little, uh, natural grass setup it's, it's awesome but how, how did that come together <laughs> so leslie um, was a he had a startup okay and i was mentoring him he's yes. from cameroon and he had i didn't a, know that oh yeah yeah so okay. he he had a startup um doing um he had it was like a social network for universities it was a great system um, but it didn't work out for many many reasons um and but i kept in touch with him and and um, he, he came up with this idea of a, a co-working space um, that would be um, targeted towards the African diaspora um, primarily, but, you know, open, as you saw for, for that event, open to a full community. Um, and he had found a location. It was a previous location. So, so we just moved last year. Okay. And he was looking for an investor. 
And so I was like, mm. and he already had an investor. What, what does that mean? So I, <laughs> family so, and friends? No, he had an investor. So he sent me like, you know, the, all the financial, like the, 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 you know, he sent me everything, the whole package, the whole pitch deck and everything. And he already had an investor. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was also going to put in some money and then all he needed would be like, you know, and, and I was coming in as a, basically a third investor. Right. And I was like, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. I know Leslie. Um, I, I like the idea. The plans were there. He had, you know, already like I was able to visit the actual space. Um, and you know, he's like, we're ready to start the landlord. This is the lease da, da, da. and I put in money. Right. And so it, I, I ended up being the investor. Okay. Uh, all, all of it because the, the other person didn't come through. Okay. Yes. And so, um, that's how I became co-founder. I see. Right. Yeah. Because, Amazing. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't meant to be this involved. Got it. Um, but it's, it, it's been a great project. Um, so I, what I did last year in October is when we found this new space that you visited on George Avenue, I, I, I mixed in AppStick and which is now AppStick Labs is a new, um, it's almost a startup okay. for us. Yeah. And we're building our own platform and that we're releasing later this year, hopefully okay. next month. Awesome. Um, and something really spectacular and incredible. I'm so excited and I hope I get a chance to come back and tell you all about it. Yes. Um, but so I decided to consolidate and put both in one location. Got it. Um, and sense. so that's, that's, how the, yeah. yeah. Well, amazing. It's yeah. Definitely so it's really space. exciting. Yeah. yeah. It's very exciting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Rebecca Nanchong, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Thank yes. you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank 